Good morning, church, and happy Palm Sunday. We are so excited to be here. If y'all would stand and get ready to worship with us. Y'all can yell at somebody and tell Pi this morning, too. Talking all alone, growing comfortable. Are you too scared to move to walk out of this tomb? Buried underneath lies that you believe. Safe and sound, stuck in the ground, too lost to be found. You're just asleep, and it's time to leave. Come on and rise up. Take a breath, you're alive now. Can't you hear the voice of Jesus calling us? Out from the grave like Lazarus, you're brand new. Power death couldn't hold you. Can't you hear the voice of Jesus calling us? Out from the grave like Filled your veins It's more than blood The kind of love that washes it away And the storm is over wide Storms been rolled aside The old is gone The light has come So come on and rise up Take a breath, you're alive now Can't you hear the voice of Jesus calling us Out from the grave like Lazarus Your friend Go ahead and take a seat.
morning, everyone. Y'all sound awesome this morning. Jesus is calling and rise up. I tell you, what a wonderful way to start our worship service this morning. And we're so glad that you are here with us here in our sanctuary, and we're excited to have those of you that are worshiping with us online. Well, spring is definitely here, and that means that summer's around the corner. And as if you noticed in our, yeah, let's clap for that. I tell you, that's kind of exciting news, isn't it? And in our video this morning, that means one thing, and that's church camp. And I tell you what, we love church camp, and gosh, I take the children, and Jeff takes youth, and there's nothing better than going to church camp. It's my favorite time of the year. So this year, we will be going, the children who have completed third through completed sixth will be going to Campbellsville University, and um, we have a wonderful time. Jeff will be taking middle schoolers, high schools, high schoolers and college students to Mississippi. Now the great thing is we're both gone this same week this year. So if you've got kids in both, hey, it's a vacation for you. So it's the last full week of June. It's the 21st through the 25th. So if you're interested in going to camp, see me or Jeff, contact us in the church office. We'd be glad to tell you more about that um, and get you signed up because space is limited and we need to know by April 11th. So keep that in mind. The next thing is, is during the month of March and in through our um, Easter Sunday, which is next week, we as a church are collecting for our Annie Armstrong offering. Now, our church has set a goal of $6,000, and all of the money that is collected for Annie Armstrong stays right here in North America to help with missionaries and also to with church plants. So if you just not had time to give yet, we'd like to encourage you to give to Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Well, this morning when you all came in, I'm sure you all looked at the seat backs in front of you and you thought, what on earth are those QR codes doing there? Well, I tell you what, I'm going to answer that for you this morning. And the one on the left is you can um, scan that with your phone and you can give online. We're making it really easy, aren't we? And the next one on your right will be, or did I get this backwards? I think I got this backwards. Yes, right is for giving, and on the left is our online connection card. So if you're a first-time guest with us this morning, we're so glad you're here. All you have to do is just to scan that QR code. It takes you right to our connection card, and you can let us know about your visit today. And also, if you're watching online, you can have those available there online as well to text to give and also information on an online connection card. All right, so um, as we get ready to worship this morning, I'd love to lead us in a word of prayer. So would you pray with me, please? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in all of who you are, the King of Kings. God, we just thank you for your gift of Jesus. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace. God, help us to acknowledge you daily, and we know that you will lead us. Help us to rise up and as a church to rise up. God, we're just so thankful for you. Be with us now as we continue in our worship service, as we lift our voice in song to you, and as Harold brings a message this morning. God, we love you and we praise you. And we pray these things in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. Go and stand with us again. We're going to do another one about just his, his overwhelming presence and power in his breakthrough.
He picked this song for Palm Sunday, and it's a wonderful song for Palm Sunday. Uh, the preacher even texted me yesterday. He said, I'm ready for some Hosanna. So, but she's got a, a verse that she would like to read and kind of talk about the song a little bit. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 19, verses 37 and 38. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So for me, this song just really captures the excitement that these people had, you know. They had waited for Jesus for so long, and they were just super excited that he was there. And I think today, we need to be as excited, if not more excited, for the second coming of our king.
Amen. Wouldn't it have been awesome to have been there that morning when uh, Jesus rides in and you got to lay down your cloaks and your palm branches and say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest to the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Wouldn't that have been cool? Good to see you this morning. We've been in a series called Turning Our Eyes Upon Jesus. We started that in January, and we have found that Jesus is so much more beautiful than COVID and politics and all the distractions of the world, and uh, this morning we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is the greatest king, the king of kings, and uh, we're going to start in Luke 23, and we're also going to spend some time in Revelation chapter 19. So let's start in uh, Luke chapter 23. I invite you to stand, and we'll honor God's word. This is uh, the morning of crucifixion. And uh, we're going to be looking to the cross this week. Uh, Luke 22 tells us that uh, uh, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter. Uh, he was beaten and, and uh, blindfolded. Uh, then he was taken to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. Uh, that took place in the evening and, and throughout the night. And then early in the morning, maybe like 5 o'clock in the morning, Jesus was taken before Pilate, the governor. And uh, we'll pick up in chapter 23. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute, pay taxes to Caesar, which wasn't true, and saying that he himself is Christ, the king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Let's pray. Father, we... We pray that we might acknowledge today that Jesus is King. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's the greatest King we've ever had. And uh, Lord, He's a different kind of King. He put on a, a crown of thorns. 
He laid down his life so that we could be saved. I pray that in the next few minutes that he'll be high and lifted up and that you will graciously draw all men to, to Jesus. And uh, we'll learn some things, be reminded some things about him. We pray your spirit would, would have freedom to, to speak to our hearts today and do your perfect work. And we'll give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you all this morning. And uh, in case I forget, we're going to have a good Friday service uh, this Friday at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll talk about the cross. We'll have Lord's Supper. We'd love for you to come. And uh, we welcome those online today. It's good to see uh, some of you, some more back today. Always exciting. Good to see Gary back there. Gary's been going through treatments and looking good this morning. And glad to have him and, and lots of others. And uh, anyway, we've looked at these three offices that Jesus has held, uh, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, a prophet reveals God to man, and we said Jesus is the greatest prophet because he was God, and so he could certainly reveal God to us. Uh, last week we said that Jesus is a priest. He's a great high priest. The priest represents man to God, and so Jesus became man and could perfectly represent us before his Father. And then we come to kings, and we know that kings rule and reign. And this morning we're going to see that Jesus is king, and, and not just king, but king of kings. I want to spend just a few minutes wrestling with Pilate's question here in verse 2, or actually verse 3, are you the king of the Jews? And maybe a little more specifically, are you a king? Are you a king? And so a question about Jesus' kingship. So if we look to the Scriptures... And specifically the Gospels, which records the, the life of Jesus. Uh, here's what we notice. At the time of Jesus' birth, and, and you can look back in, in Matthew chapter 2, but these wise men come, it says Matthew 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men come from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so the wise men come looking for a king. Then we know at the end of his ministry on Palm Sunday and uh, the passage that, uh, that was read from Luke chapter 19, uh, 37 and 38, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to re rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so some were certainly looking for a king. And so was Jesus the promised Messiah, the anointed one and king? Well, uh, a king is someone who rules and reigns over a group of people. And they don't see Jesus doing what a king normally does. And so from an earthly perspective, uh, a few questions that they might have asked, and we could add a lot to this list, but one question is, are kings born in a stable? Are kings born in a stable? And we know that the Gospels record the, the birth of Jesus. Luke 2, 6, uh, Mary and, and Joseph were in Bethlehem. The time came for her to give birth. Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So a, a manger is a feeding trough for animals. And so some believe that Jesus was born in a stable or a place for animals. We don't really know. It could have been a cave. There were lots of those. It could have been the, the lower level of a guest house because they would build those up and sometimes they would keep their animals in the lower levels. It could have been a stable, but it's definitely the lowest, lowliest of circumstances. And so, no, kings are not normally born in a stable and laid in a feed trough. How about another question? Do kings work like a carpenter? In the middle of his ministry... Jesus comes to, uh, to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's teaching in their synagogues. And, and when the people come and they hear him, they're amazed. And uh, Matthew 13, 55, they say, is not this the carpenter's son? So Joseph, who was Jesus' earthly father, was a carpenter. And it's likely that Jesus would have learned that trade at an early age. Uh, the last time we read about Joseph is in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is with his parents at the temple at the age of 12. And we don't read about him anymore. And so most uh, assume that Joseph likely died. And Jesus, 
as the oldest son, would have been the primary provider for the family. And, and, uh, and so likely he was a carpenter. And so to answer that question, no, kings do not normally work like a carpenter. How about don't kings live in palaces? And the answer is yes, most often they do. And yet Jesus says in Matthew 8, 20, foxes have hoes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so we must admit from a man's perspective, Jesus didn't really meet their kingly expectations. Dr. James Allen Francis uh, penned these words about Jesus' coming and influence on mankind. He said, here is a man who was born in an obscure village, Bethlehem, this child of a peasant woman, Mary, he grew up in another village, Nazareth. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property that he had on earth, his his cloak. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the the pity of a friend. So not, not very kingly. Would you agree? So listen to the words of Jesus in John 18, 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. And so Jesus did not come to establish a worldly kingdom. Now, he could have. You know, when he did the miracles and people would follow him, and at one time they would, he could have established some type of earthly kingdom, but that's not why he came. But he did acknowledge his kingship, this exchange with Pilate, also recorded in John 18, 37, uh, Pilate says, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, or, or you say correctly that I am a king. And so when asked point blank, Are you a king? Jesus, Jesus basically says, You're correct in saying that. And uh, the apostle Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 13, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. And so Paul says that Jesus acknowledged, confessed that he was king. Verse 15, the confession which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so my intent this morning is not just to answer the question, was Jesus a king? We know he was a king. My intent is to make an assertion about Jesus' kingship. And I want you to see that he's the greatest king, that he's the king of all kings. I think we could look to several places in the scriptures, uh, but before I finish this series on turning our eyes upon Jesus, I wanted to spend a little more time in the book of Revelation. Miss Reba is always like, get back in Revelation. And so, uh, Revelation chapter 19. Uh, we talked about Revelation 19 just uh, a few weeks ago. I'm sure you all remember. Uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember, the, our bridegroom, Jesus, is going to come back and get the bride, who is the church. And uh, that's recorded in Revelation 19. And so we stopped at verse 10, and we'll pick up in verse 11. And Jesus, uh, or John, is describing the second coming of Jesus. And he says, verse 11, I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now that sounds like something the king might do. And I just want to point out there's a a lot of differences between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And so on the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, he was riding a a donkey. You know, the only time we find Jesus in the Scriptures riding anything was that donkey. You know, you all know what a donkey looks like. And, And Jesus, we know, is fulfilling prophecy. But he's riding in on a donkey, but when he comes back, he's going to be on a white horse. He came the first time in humility and meekness, but he's coming back in majesty and power. The first time he came to suffer the wrath of God for sinners, but he's coming back to establish his kingdom for the saints. He came as a suffering servant, 
but he's coming back as king and lord and now listen the first time he came he was kind of god incognito and they didn't recognize him but when he comes back he's coming back in his glory and splendor and all the world's going to recognize him listen the first time he came to seek and to save the lost and he still invites the lost to come to him but when he comes back church he's coming back as judge and king he's coming back to rule and so, just cut to the chase here. Verse 16, chapter 19. On his robe, John says, and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so, let's just acknowledge that Jesus is King. King of all kings. Let me, let me highlight his kingly appearance. Uh, again, the first time he came, he, he uh, concealed his glory the heavenly glory. He concealed it beneath the, the flesh. He came as a man. Uh, Philippians 2, 6 and 7, though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, and he emptied himself, and he came in the form of a man. He came like us. And so he concealed his glory the first time, but and even though he was the creator of the universe, he said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But the next time he comes, he's going to come and he'll be riding on a white horse. Now, uh, ancient Roman generals would ride white horses in their triumphal possessions after they had won a victory. And listen, church, Jesus is coming back as a conquering king. And so maybe the last time some saw him, he was hanging on the cross and he looked like a victim. But when he comes back, we're going to know that he's the victor. And this rider on the on the white horse has five names here in Revelation 19. One of them is concealed, but the other four ensure us that what John sees is indeed the Lord Jesus. And so verse 11, the one sitting on, on it, the, the one sitting on the white horse is called faithful and true. Well, we know that's Jesus. He's faithful in the sense that he's trustworthy. He's true in the sense that he's the real thing. In Revelation, there's plenty of counterfeits, false prophets, and there's those in the world today and in the scriptures, but, but Jesus is the real thing. And it says at the end of verse 11 that he's in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This fight is a fight of righteousness. And, you know, lots of wars today are waged for lots of crazy reasons, silly ideologies, and, but not this one. The, the Lord's cause is, is holy and just. And he is going to war against the unrighteousness and the evils of this world. And we know there are plenty of them. Verse 12 describes Jesus as having eyes like a flame of fire. Now some of you remember that back from Revelation 1. But these, these eyes like the flame of fire speak of his penetrating insight. That he's omniscient. He, he's all-knowing. And because he sees all things and knows all things, he has the right to judge sinners. And so Jesus is coming back as the one who is all-seeing, all-knowing, and in control of all things. And you can't hide from his eyes like a flame of fire. You can try to, but you can't. And so he isn't returning this time as a Savior, but as a righteous judge. And it says that on his head are many diadems or crowns. This is crowns of his royalty and his sovereignty. Matthew Bridges' hymn, Come crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthems drown, all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Church, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be hailing him as our matchless king for all eternity. And so John shares some names of Jesus. He's faithful and true. Uh, verse 12, it says that he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And so I, I'm assuming that uh, our finite minds couldn't comprehend this name. But listen, one day we'll know this name. And I, I believe that for all eternity we'll be growing in our knowledge and in particular our awe of who Jesus is and all that he accomplished for us. We live in a world that wants to use Jesus' name so flippantly, sometimes as profanity or cursings. And, and some of you need to be careful with that. 
And then there's some on the other extreme where they don't, they don't want to ever mention the name of Jesus. And don't, our chaplains, you don't pray. Listen, if you, if you don't want me to mention Jesus' name, then don't ask me to pray. Because the only way that I have a right to come to the throne of God is through the name of Jesus. And then John gives us a few more names for Jesus. Verse 13, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The Word of God. And so I just remind you that the writer of Revelation, John, is the same writer of the Gospel of John. And you know how he begins his Gospel? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so John has already referred to Jesus as the Word. Jesus is God's perfect revelation of himself. And so if you were alive in Jesus' day and you heard Jesus speak, you heard God speak. Hebrews 1 says that in times past, God spoke through the prophets. But verse 2 says that in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. He has spoken. He sent His Son to speak to us. And Jesus came to fulfill all the promises and all the prophecies of the Word. And part of that was to go to the cross and to pay for our sins. The next time he comes, he's going to come and fulfill the rest of his word. He, he's coming, Hebrews 12, 2 says, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, the, the finisher. He's going to bring it to completion, all that, all that he started. A couple more names. In verse 15, he is called God the Almighty. He's the all-sovereign God, isn't he? Verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so this robe speaks of his position. He is robed in glory. And, and there's lots of symbols in Revelation. The thigh represents a strength and stability and power. And so when Jesus comes back, he's not going to be mocked this time or stripped or beaten or spit upon or crucified. None of that. That was last time. When he comes back, he is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And listen, we read about a lot of, a lot of kings in the Bible and we like King David and Solomon, and there's King Nebuchadnezzar, and all, just all kinds of kings. Uh, but Jesus is the king over all kings. He is the sovereign king and Lord, and he has no equals. David Jeremiah wrote that when we sing, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. What we're doing is proclaiming his coming again. And so I wonder this morning, do you long for the coming of King Jesus? You ever just think about that, that our King is coming? Do you know Him as your Lord and your King? Do you, do you know Him personally? Is He the great treasure of your life? Let me point out His kingly apparel in verse 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, where did this blood come from? Well, the first time we know that Jesus came, He came to shed His blood for our sins, to die in our place. But, but the blood that's on His robe this time, this is not His blood. It is the blood of His enemies. Because Jesus is coming back in judgment. Listen to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 63. It says, The Lord's day of vengeance Here's what Isaiah says. Who is this who comes from Eden in crimson garments from Bozrah? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. He's talking about the Lord there. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like this who treads in the winepress? And he says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. My, their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. And so when we come to Revelation 19 and John sees him clothed with this robe and this blood, Verse 15 speaks of Jesus treading the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Now, we don't talk a lot about the judgment of God. I don't know why it's, it's in the Scriptures, but He's coming back as a judge. And what a day that's going to be when the eastern sky rips asunder and King Jesus, in all of His glory and power, rides forth in awesome and absolute victory. 
Can you imagine the Lord's return? So we've seen his appearance, his apparel. Verse 14, we see the king's army. Armies. Verse 14, and the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Church, did you realize that if you're a Christian, you are, you're in the army? Yeah. We'll be there with King Jesus. And some of you say, well, how do you know we're going to be there? Well, if you look back in verse 8, this was the bride who's ready for her bridegroom. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That's talking about us. And so here we are in verse 14. I believe that this army is going to consist of the church, uh, the tribulation saints, those who are saved during the tribulation, because in Revelation 7, 9, they're also clothed in white robes. Uh, Daniel 12 talks about the, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints after the tribulation. Uh, so they'll be there. And then Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him. And so uh, Jesus is coming back with His entourage of the church and the believers of all time and the angels. And, and, and when we think about army, we think about, well, there's going to be a battle. And, uh, but listen, don't, don't worry. We're, we're just spectators. Uh, we're not the participants in this battle. And you say, well, what's that all about? Well, listen, you know, Jesus didn't need our help when he came the first time to accomplish our salvation. And he doesn't need our help when he comes back to defeat his enemies. He's got it all under control. And because he defeats them by himself, you know who gets all the glory? Yeah, he does. All the glory for him. And so let me quickly point out the king's arsenal. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And so we think about all of our sophisticated weaponry. He, he doesn't need any of the world's weapons. He will open his mouth and unleash the power of his word. Listen, church, there's power in the word. Amen? Somebody say amen. There's power. Listen, he created the universe. How did he create it? He spoke it. That's the, he able to take nothing and speak everything that we have into existence. That is the power of his word. He has the power to bring light out of darkness. He has the power to bring life out of death. When he speaks, church, it happens. The word of God, it says in Hebrews 4.12, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's powerful. And so by the word of his mouth. I mean, he has... The power to speak and bring healing and to give life. And he also has the power to destroy and to kill. I mean, he spoke to a dead man named Lazarus and he come up out of the tomb. That's the power in the word. And so there is a battle and we can read about this battle. Some of you like reading about the battles in Revelation chapter 14. This battle we call the battle of Armageddon. And, and you can read about it and, and we know the location because uh, Revelation 16, 16 says, and they assembled them all at that place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And so all the nations, all the enemy nations are going to come together and they're going to battle against the Lamb. And uh, we know where it's going to be. Uh, but what we learn is that this long-awaited battle of Armageddon is going to be a real disappointment if you're expecting a good fight. Uh, it would be kind of like paying for pay-per-view on a boxing match, and it's over with the first punch. You wasted your money. And so I don't want to get your expectations too much about this battle. Uh, I'm just going to call it the king's abolition because he is going to obliterate all his enemies and this battle is going to be over in a snap. Swindoll said, let's cut to the chase. Before anybody on earth can utter the word Armageddon, the battle will be over. Now we can say Armageddon pretty fast, but it's over. Matter of fact, uh, here in 19, chapter 19, 17 and 18, verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun and with the Loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God. And, and so the angel calls for all the, the vultures and says, I got some food for you. What's this all about? Verse 18, To eat the flesh of kings, 
the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And so God is going to prepare a feast for the vultures, and it's the flesh of his enemies. And so we got kings and captains and mighty men, and these are divided in this life by rank and title and by power, but in death they're all made equal. You know death's a great equalizer. And uh, you may be a somebody in this life, but when death comes calling, if you're not in Jesus, then you're a nobody. And you're going to end up with this fate. And, uh, you know, man thinks that he's in control of his destiny. God laughs at that, doesn't he? I mean, God is sovereign. He rules over man. He determines the destinies of man. The very fact that all these armies are going to gather themselves together in the valley of Megiddo, just the fact that they're going to come and, and try, at this, the fact that they're going to come and try to make war against God just reminds us that God's in control and not man. Church, this is his story. And uh, he, he's calling the shots and he's directing every step to ensure that his plan for the ages is perfectly and completely fulfilled. And this battle is so quick and so decisive that, that John doesn't even describe it. All that he records is the results of the battle. Verse 20, and, and the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who was in the presence had done the signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And so there, there's this deception by the beast and the false prophet, and the two were thrown into the lake, alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And so the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet, they're going to be cast into hell. And this is what this is. They're going to be cast alive into hell. And so I want you just to... And I'm not going to get into all the details, but just imagine the shock of this world and right before their eyes when their two leaders are taken and thrown into hell. And some's going to say, boy, we're in trouble now. They're, you see, their, their allegiance has been misplaced, and they were the fools. Verse 21 says, And the rest... The nations, the enemies, were slain by the sword that come from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Jesus is going to slay his enemies. And so there is this assembled armies of the world, and they will be defeated in a single moment by the power of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, this will be a horrific scene, and I believe it will be literally played out, and the Bible talks about the height of the blood that comes from the enemies. This will be curtain time for this Christ-rejecting world. This world that has denied Jesus as their Lord and Savior will one day face Him as their righteous all-powerful judge and king. We can't miss this. I, I mean, we, we, I, I like to talk about grace. You all know that. I like to talk about it a lot. And, and this Bible is full of grace. And we know the story of Jesus, that God so loved this world that our sin had messed everything up. And we were damned in our sins. We were headed towards hell in our sins. And God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus went to the cross, paid for our sins, died, was buried, was raised again, invites people to be saved. We, we know that this very word contains the, the gospel message, the invitation of salvation. And he invites us to come and be saved. But it's the same Bible that tells us that one day Jesus is coming back and he is going to judge the world. And if you reject him, you will stand condemned in your sin. And so the same Bible that offers a saving gospel to repenting sinners tells of the slaughter of, of those who reject Jesus on that awful day. And so we really, we have these choices in life. We, do we want to hear life and peace from Jesus or do we want to face His judgment? That to me sounds like a no-brainer. And so I, let me just end with this. King Jesus is coming. Anybody believe that? King Jesus is coming and you have been warned and the question is, are you ready to meet him? Have you been saved by his grace? Is everything as it should be between you and Jesus today?
Are there people you know that's not ready to meet him? Are there people that need to hear this warning? And so we, we want to celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus. And we look forward, I look forward to preaching on Easter Sunday and celebrating the resurrection from the grave. But, but let's make sure that people we know and love is ready for the Lord's return because one day he's going to return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father, your word is living and active and sharp, and I pray that it has been effective this morning. Lord, your word is so good. It brings life. It offers salvation to those who will turn from their sins and believe. And at the same time, there are warnings after warnings that Jesus is returning as the judge. And he's all-seeing and all-knowing. He didn't miss anything. He's going to judge the unrighteousness and the evil of this world. And, and Father, I know there are some who aren't ready for that. Some listening online this morning, some gathered in this room who have never bowed their knee to King Jesus and acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior. So Lord, I, I pray that Your Spirit might open their eyes to see who Jesus is. And that we all might be reminded that one day He's coming back and it could be soon. It could be this week. It could be today. And so I pray that if there's any here that's never confessed Jesus as Lord, that they wouldn't put that off any longer. That they might turn from their sins today and ask for forgiveness. That they might just say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me and I believe you arose from the grave. I believe you're coming back. I call upon your name in faith. I, I believe in Jesus. I, I pray that some might do that today and, and be saved and not have to worry about this coming judgment. I, I pray that they would hear your gracious invitation today to be saved. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me? And listen, we just want to have a time of what we call invitation, a time of response and an opportunity for you to respond. You, you might want to observe the Lord's Supper and be reminded of what Jesus did for you. Listen, that last week of Jesus' life, there was much going on. But on that Sunday, there were some who were, man, laying down their palm branches and their cokes, and they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And they, they were offering praise to Jesus. And, and we know that there were some that week who said, crucify Him. Crucify Him. Well, this morning, I, I want you to know, you, you get to decide which crowd you want to be in. You, you can be in the, the, the crowd that says Jesus is Lord. That passage in Philippians 2, it, he humbled himself and came as a man. That, then it says he died on the cross. And it says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. One day every knee is going to confess Jesus is Lord. Listen, you're invited to do that today. I'd love to help you with that. I'd love to talk to you about that. You, you decide how you want to respond to King Jesus today.
Y'all can clap if you want to. There's a, there's a word in the book of Revelation called, amen. You all can say that if you think something is good. You, be seated for just a, a couple minutes. Uh, Brandon, come down here. You all, a lot of y'all know Brandon. And uh, how many of you know Brandon? Anybody? Yeah. Brandon calls out here a lot. Joanne knows him a lot. And yeah, so Brandon comes today and uh he says that he's saved, been baptized, and he wants to be a member of Burlington Baptist. And so we all welcome him as part of our family. Yeah. I think that's yes. Yeah. So uh, I'll be talking to Brandon some more, and uh, we'll try to encourage him. And uh, Brandon, welcome to, to our family. All right, brother? You're welcome. You're welcome. You can be seated. And uh, so Easter is, uh, is that next week? Yeah, next week. Uh, three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11 o'clock, and uh, we're expecting a lot of people. Uh, we'd love for you as church members to come to one of the two earlier services, if you're able. If you're bringing somebody with you, you come whatever time they can come. Uh, but if you're able to come to one of the two earlier services, that might give us more room for our guests. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, a couple things, if you are able... If you, let's say you're under 75 or so, park away from the church, and we'll give room for our guests. Wear your smile, and uh, we'll do all we can to welcome those who come. 
I, I think maybe Easter is a date that some people have established is a date that they're going to come back, and so we want to welcome them. Uh, Sophia and Arabella, are they back there? Yeah, they're going to get baptized at the 11 o'clock service next week. So, yeah. Y'all want them to stand up? Will y'all stand up for just a second? We won't make you say anything. Anyway, uh, that's Mike's granddaughters. Melanie is their mom, and uh, they're going to be baptized at the 11. I got to talk to them last week, and uh, they've trusted in the Lord, and uh, so we're excited for them. We didn't want them to have to give a speech or anything, but uh, we're excited for them. And uh, so if you come to the 11 o'clock next week, uh, you'll see them baptized. Our children will be singing at the 11 o'clock. So, so we think the 11 o'clock is going to be kind of crowded. And so uh, if you want to come to one of the other two, that would be super. Uh, we have these invitations. Uh, we've sent some out in the mail, uh, but we have a couple hundred of them. And uh, we want to be good stewards. And so we got to use them this week. And so does anybody have any friends that don't go to church? Danny does. If you'll grab a couple of these when you leave, they're on the table or the welcome desk, and uh, you can send them to someone or you can drop them by. Uh, a personal invitation goes a long way. And so grab a couple of these before you leave this morning, and uh, we'll celebrate the resurrection uh, next week and ask the Lord to save some. And uh, Ken is going to, where's he at? There he is. Ken's going to come and share. And uh, when we get done, our deacons will dismiss from the back to the front, and Ken will remind you, but thank you, sir. Good morning, everybody. I won't keep you but just a minute. Every year we uh, kind of come to you guys and uh, give you an overview of uh, the Dollar Club and uh, what's, uh, what's going on with that. And since we have a lot of new people, we thought we'd do it a little different this year and, and kind of explain what goes on. But when you all, Danny every week tells you all, you know, about the boxes out back and the dollars that you drop in. And what we ask as a church is if you can, that you take $1 out of your pocket and put in that box back there. And a lot of you don't really know where it goes or what it does, but I, I'm going to tell you that 25% of every dollar that you all give goes to benevolence. And benevolence is a, a pot of money that they keep. And for anybody that comes knocking on the door of the church that needs food, gas, just a, a, a quick emergency need, the, the office staff is able to, to fill that need. The other 75% of that money goes to a family in need every month um, through some sort of a tragedy, whether it be a fire, whether it be illness, loss of job. Every penny of what's left over gets spent on that family. Um, so that ministry is a huge ministry in our community. You all bring those families to us. We pray over those families, and we decide, you know, who gets that money every month, and that's where it goes. But what I wanted to share with you is uh, the Dollar Club's been in existence since 2013. And in that time, just by $1 out of your pocket every week, um, we have collected over $150,000. So that's a lot of money. 25% of that money that goes to benevolence, that's $34,000 that they've used for benevolence for people. And the other 75% of the families in crisis uh, works out to about $115,000 that we've spent on families in need. So it's, it's an amazing ministry. But we also wanted to tell you all thank you because over last year in 2020, nothing changed as far as the amount of money that we took in. It was absolutely amazing. The seats were empty, but the money kept coming in for, for the Dollar Club. So in 2020, we collected $16,531. 4,500 of that was uh, given to benevolence. Over 10,000 was given away in blessings to countless families in our community. There have been over 125 families served just on this side. No telling how many in the benevolence side. So I wanted to thank you all for that, let you all know where your money was going, and thank you for your support of this ministry. It's an amazing ministry, and, uh, but just kind of give you an update. So thank you for that. Like the pastor said, the deacons are going to let you out from back to front, so hold your seat until they let you go, and let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many, many, many blessings. We thank you for the sermon today, and we thank you for our pastor, and we thank you for the staff. Lord, we ask that you watch over us and you keep us and that, that you just help us to be soldiers in, in, in your battlefield. Thank you for your son, and thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 